Book First, Chapter Nine of Ben Hur by Lou Wallace. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter Nine. To understand thoroughly what happened to the Nazarene at the Khan, the reader must be reminded that Eastern inns were different from the inns of the Western world. They were called Khans from the Persian and, in simplest form, were fenced enclosures, without house or shed, often without a gate or entrance. Their sites were chosen with reference to shade, defense, or water. Such were the inns that sheltered Jacob when he went to seek a wife in Paddan Aram. Their like may be seen at this day in the stopping places of the desert. On the other hand, some of them, especially those on the roads between great cities, like Jerusalem and Alexandria, were princely establishments, monuments to the piety of the kings who built them. In ordinary, however, they were no more than the house or possession of a sheikh, in which, as in headquarters, he swayed his tribe. Lodging the traveller was the least of their uses. They were markets, factories, forts, places of assemblage and residence for merchants and artisans, quite as much as places of shelter for belated and wandering wayfarers. Within their walls, all the year round, occurred the multiplied daily transactions of a town. The singular management of these hostelries was the feature likely to strike a western mind with most force. There was no host or hostess, no clerk, cook, or kitchen. A steward at the gate was all the assertion of government or proprietorship anywhere visible. Strangers arriving stayed at will without rendering account. A consequence of the system was that whoever came had to bring his food and culinary outfit with him, or buy them of dealers in the con. The same rule held good as to his bed and bedding, and forge for his beasts. Water, rest, shelter, and protection were all he looked for from the proprietor, and there were gratuities. The peace of the synagogues was sometimes broken by brawling disputants, but that of the cons never. The houses and all their appurtenances were sacred. A well was not more so. The con at Bethlehem, before which Joseph and his wife stopped, was a good specimen of his class, being neither very primitive nor very princely. The building was purely oriental, that is to say, a quadrangular block of rough stones, one story high, flat-roofed, externally unbroken by a window, and with but one principal entrance, a doorway, which was also a gateway, on the eastern side, or front. The road ran by the door so near that the chalk dust half covered the lintel. A fence of flat rocks, beginning at the northeastern corner of the pile, extended many yards down the slope to a point from whence it swept westwardly to a limestone bluff, making what was in the highest degree essential to a respectable con, a safe enclosure for animals. In a village like Bethlehem, as there was but one sheik, there could not well be more than one con, and though born in the place, the Nazarene, from long residence elsewhere, had no claim to hospitality in the town. Moreover, the enumeration for which he was coming might be the work of weeks or months. Roman deputies in the provinces were proverbially slow, and to impose himself and wife for a period so uncertain upon acquaintances or relations was out of the question. So before he drew nigh the great house, while he was yet climbing the slope, in the steep places toiling to hasten the donkey, the fear that he might not find accommodation in the con became a painful anxiety, for he found the road thronged with men and boys who— with great ado, were taking their cattle, horses, and camels to and fro from the valley, some to water, some to the neighboring caves. 
and when he was come close by his alarm was not allayed by the discovery of a crowd investing the door of the establishment while the enclosure adjoining broad as it was seemed already full we cannot reach the door joseph said in his slow way let us stop here and learn if we can what has happened the wife without answering quietly drew the wimple aside the look of fatigue at first upon her face changed to one of interest she found herself at the edge of an assemblage that could not be other than a matter of curiosity to her although it was common enough at the cons on any of the highways which the great caravans were accustomed to traverse they were men on foot running hither and thither talking shrilly and in all the tongues of syria men on horseback screaming to men on camels men struggling doubtfully with fractious cows and frightened sheep men peddling bread and wine and among the mass a herd of boys apparently in chase of a herd of dogs everybody and everything seemed to be in motion at the same time possibly the fair spectator was too weary to be long attracted by the scene in a little while she sighed and settled down on the pillion and as if in search of peace and rest or in expectation of someone looked off to the south and up to the tall cliffs of the mount of paradise then faintly reddening under the setting sun while she was thus looking a man pushed his way out of the press and stopping close by the donkey faced about with an angry brow the nazarene spoke to him as i am what i take you to be good friend a son of judah may i ask the cause of this multitude the stranger turned fiercely but seeing the solemn countenance of joseph so in keeping with his deep slow voice and speech he raised his hand in half salutation and replied peace be to you rabbi i am a son of judah and will answer you i dwell in beth dagon which you know is in what used to be the land of the tribe of dan on the road from joppa to modin said joseph ah you have been to beth dagon the man said his face softening yet more what wanderers we of judah are i have been away from the ridge old ephrath as our father jacob called it for many years when the proclamation went abroad requiring all hebrews to be numbered at the cities of their birth that is my business here rabbi joseph's face remained stolid as a mask while he remarked i have come for that also i and my wife the stranger glanced at mary and kept silence she was looking up at the bald top of gador the sun touched her upturned face and filled the violet depths of her eyes and upon her parted lips trembled an aspiration which could not have been to a mortal for the moment all the humanity of her beauty seemed refined away she was as we fancy they are who sit close by the gate in the transfiguring light of heaven the beth dagonite saw the original of what centuries after came as a vision of genius to sanzio the divine and left him immortal of what was i speaking ah i remember i was about to say that when i heard of the order to come here i was angry then i thought of the old hill and the town and the valley falling away into the depths of cedron of the vines and orchards and fields of grain unfailing since the days of boaz and ruth of the familiar mountains gador here gibea yonder marilias there which when i was a boy were the walls of the world to me and i forgave the tyrants and came i and rachel my wife and deborah and michael are roses of sharon the man paused again looked abruptly at mary who was now looking at him and listening then he said rabbi will not your wife go to mine 
you may see her yonder with the children, under the leaning olive tree at the bend of the road. I tell you... He turned to Joseph and spoke positively. I tell you, the con is full. It is useless to ask at the gate. Joseph's will was slow like his mind. He hesitated, but at length said, The offer is kind. Whether there be room for us or not in the house, we will go see your people. Let me speak to the gatekeeper myself. I will return quickly. And putting the leading strap in the stranger's hand, he pushed into the stirring crowd. The keeper sat on a great cedar block outside the gate. Against the wall behind him leaned a javelin. A dog squatted on the block by his side. The peace of Jehovah be with you, said Joseph, at last confronting the keeper. What you give may you find again, and when found, be it many times multiplied to you and yours, returned the watchman gravely, though without moving. I am a Bethlehemite, said Joseph, in his most deliberate way. Is there not room for? There is not. You may have heard of me, Joseph of Nazareth. This is the house of my father's. I am of the line of David. These words held the Nazarene's hope. If they failed him, further appeal was idle, even that of the offer of many shekels. To be a son of Judah was one thing, in the tribal opinion a great thing. To be of the house of David was yet another. On the tongue of a Hebrew there could be no higher boast. A thousand years and more had passed since the boyish shepherd became the successor of Saul and founded a royal family. Wars, calamities, other kings, and the countless obscuring processes of time had, as respects fortune, lowered his descendants to the common Jewish level. The bread they ate came to them of toil never more humble. Yet they had the benefit of history sacredly kept, of which genealogy was the first chapter and the last. They could not become unknown, while, wherever they went in Israel, acquaintance drew after it a respect amounting to reverence. If this were so in Jerusalem and elsewhere, certainly one of the sacred line might reasonably rely upon it at the door of the Khan of Bethlehem. To say, as Joseph said, This is the house of my fathers, was to say the truth most simply and literally, for it was the very house Ruth ruled as the wife of Boaz, the very house in which Jesse and his ten sons, David the youngest, were born, the very house in which Samuel came seeking a king, and found him, the very house which David gave to the son of Barzillai, the friendly Gileadite, the very house in which Jeremiah, by prayer, rescued the remnant of his race flying before the Babylonians. The appeal was not without effect. The keeper of the gate slid down from the cedar block, and laying his hand upon his beard, said respectfully, Rabbi, I cannot tell you when this door first opened in welcome to the traveller, but it was more than a thousand years ago, and in all that time there is no known instance of a good man turned away, save when there was no room to rest him in. If it has been so with a stranger, just cause must a steward have who says no to one of the line of David. Wherefore, I salute you again. And, if you care to go with me, I will show you that there is not a lodging place left in the house, neither in the chambers, nor in the ruins, nor in the court, not even on the roof. May I ask you when you came? But now... The keeper smiled. The stranger that dwelleth with you shall be as one born among you, and thou shalt love him as thyself. Is not that the law, Rabbi? Joseph was silent. If it be the law, can I say to one a long time come, Go thy way, another is here to take thy place? Yet Joseph held his peace. And if I said so, to whom would the place belong? See the many that have been waiting, some of them since noon. Who are all these people? asked Joseph, turning to the crowd. And why are they here at this time? 
that which doubtless brought you, Rabbi, the decree of Caesar. The keeper threw an interrogative glance at the Nazarene, then continued, Brought most of those who have lodging in the house. And yesterday the caravan passing from Damascus to Arabia and Lower Egypt arrived. These you see here belong to it, men and camels. Still Joseph persisted. The court is large, he said. Yes, but it is heaped with cargoes, with bales of silk and pockets of spices, and goods of every kind. Then for a moment the face of the applicant lost its stolidity. The lusterless, staring eyes dropped. With some warmth he next said, I do not care for myself, but I have with me my wife, and the night is cold. Colder on these heights than in Nazareth. She cannot live in the open air. Is there not room in the town? These people, the keeper waved his hand to the throng before the door, have all besought the town, and they report its accommodations all engaged. Again Joseph studied the ground, saying half to himself, She is so young. If I make her bed on the hill, the frosts will kill her. Then he spoke to the keeper again. It may be you knew her parents, Joachim and Anna, once of Bethlehem, and, like myself, of the line of David. Yes, I knew them. They were good people. That was in my youth. This time the keeper's eyes sought the ground in thought. Suddenly he raised his head. If I cannot make room for you, he said, I cannot turn you away. Rabbi, I will do the best I can for you. How many are of your party? Joseph reflected, then replied, My wife, and a friend with his family, from Beth Dagon, a little town over by Joppa, in all, six of us. Very well. You shall not lie out on the ridge. Bring your people and hasten, for, when the sun goes down behind the mountain, you know the night comes quickly, and it is nearly there now. I give you the blessing of the houseless traveler. That of the sojourner will follow. So saying, the Nazarene went back joyfully to Mary and the Beth Dagonite. In a little while the latter brought up his family. The women mounted on donkeys. The wife was matronly. The daughters were images of what she must have been in youth. And as they drew nigh the door, the keeper knew them to be of the humble class. This is she of whom I spoke, said the Nazarene. And these are our friends. Mary's veil was raised. Blue eyes and hair of gold muttered the steward to himself, seeing but her. So looked the young king when he went to sing before Saul. Then he took the leading strap from Joseph and said to Mary, Peace to you, O daughter of David. Then to the others, Peace to you all. Then to Joseph, Rabbi, follow me. The party were conducted into a wide passage paved with stone, from which they entered the court of the Khan. To a stranger the scene would have been curious, but they noted the lewins that crowded darkly upon them from all sides, and the court itself, only to remark how crowded they were. By a lane reserved in the stowage of the cargoes, and thence by a passage similar to the one at the entrance, they emerged into the enclosure adjoining the house, and came upon camels, horses, and donkeys, tethered and dozing in close groups. Among them were the keepers, men of many lands, and they too slept or kept silent watch. They went down the slope of the crowded yard slowly, for the dull carriers of the women had minds of their own. At length they turned into a path running towards the grey limestone bluff overlooking the Khan in the west. We are going to the cave, said Joseph, laconically. The guide lingered till Mary came to his side. The cave to which we are going, he said to her, must have been a resort of your ancestor David. From the field below us, and from the well, down in the valley, he used to drive his flocks to it for safety, and afterwards, when he was king, he came back to the old house here for rest and health, bringing great trains of animals. 
The mangers yet remain, as they were in his day, better a bed on the floor where he has slept than one in the courtyard or out by the roadside. Ah, here is the house before the cave. This speech must not be taken as an apology for the lodging offered. There was no need of apology. The place was the best than at disposal. The guests were simple folks, by habits of life easily satisfied. To the Jew of that period, moreover, aboding caverns was a familiar idea, made so by everyday occurrences, and by what he heard of Sabbaths in the synagogue. How much of Jewish history, how many of the exciting incidents in that history, had transpired in caves? Yet further, these people were Jews of Bethlehem, with whom the idea was especially commonplace, for their locality abounded with caves great and small, some of which had been dwelling places from the time of the Imim and Horites. No more was there offence to them in the fact that the cavern to which they were being taken had been, or was, a stable. They were the descendants of a race of herdsmen, whose flocks habitually shared both their habitations and wanderings. In keeping with a custom derived from Abraham, the tent of the Bedouin yet shelters his horses and children alike. So they obeyed the keeper cheerfully, and gazed at the house, feeling only a natural curiosity. Everything associated with the history of David was interesting to them. The building was low and narrow, projecting but a little from the rock to which it was joined at the rear, and wholly without a window. In its blank front there was a door, swung on enormous hinges, and thickly daubed with ochreous clay. When the wooden bolt of the lock was being pushed back, the women were assisted from their pillions. Upon the opening of the door, the keeper called out, Come in. The guests entered and stared about them. It became apparent immediately that the house was but a mask or covering for the mouth of a natural cave or grotto, probably forty feet long, nine or ten high, and twelve or fifteen in width. The light streamed through the doorway over an uneven floor, falling upon piles of grain and fodder, and earthenware and household property, occupying the centre of the chamber. Along the sides were mangers, low enough for sheep, and built of stones laid in cement. There were no stalls or partitions of any kind. Dust and chaff yellowed the floor, filled all the crevices and hollows, and thickened the spider webs, which dropped from the ceiling like bits of dirty linen. Otherwise the place was cleanly, and to appearance as comfortable as any of the arched lewins of the con proper. In fact, a cave was the model and first suggestion of the Lewin. Come in, said the guide. These piles upon the floor are for travelers like yourselves. Take what of them you need. Then he spoke to Mary. Can you rest here? The place is sanctified, she answered. I leave you then. Peace be with you all. When he was gone, they busied themselves making the cave habitable. End of chapter 9